A dire warning from health officials around the world. Kids are missing doctor's appointments and falling behind on their vaccines. For kids older than two here in New York, vaccinations are down over 90%. Soon, one missed appointment becomes two. And with the fate of physical school in question, who's going to hound you for your kid's updated medical record? Add to that a concerning but anecdotal trend from pediatricians. Kids are missing milestones because they're inside all the time. In this latest installment of Parenting in a Pandemic, we introduce you to Dr. Diane Hess. She's a pediatrician with Gramercy Pediatrics here in New York City. Consider this your wake-up call. It is more important than ever for your child to see their pediatrician. You are listening to All Good in the Motherhood with Teresa Priolo. Um, when we were talking, uh, whatever day that was, um, I remember you, you you mentioning like missed milestones and things that yep. kids should be doing that they're not doing. And I thought, gosh, I'm sure there's so many moms who listen to our podcast or our viewers of Fox 5 who are probably really focused on this and very concerned about this. So I just, I wanted to kind of like dig, dig into that if we could a little bit, sure. see what you're seeing, see what you're hearing. Um, but first, before we get into all that, can you just give our listeners sort of like the Reader's Digest version of who Diane Hess is, how long you've been practicing, and your specialty. Sure. Uh, so my name is Dr. Diane Hess. I am a, a pediatrician based in downtown New York City. I have been a pediatrician for exactly 20 years. Um, I started my training at, at Albert Einstein in the Bronx. I spent the first 10 more or less years of my career working in Brooklyn, and I opened my own practice in 2010 in New York City. Um, I also specialize in um, pediatric obesity. So I'm a general pediatrician about 60%, 70% of the time. And the rest of the time, I actually spend um, working with children who are um, suffering from obesity or any kind of weight issues. Um, and I have a super subspecialty in children with special needs and eating because um, kind of the study of obesity in children went hand in hand with very picky eating and um, I just kind of became a specialist in kids with a lot of feeding issues. So I do see a lot of children with a lot of issues around nutrition and food. That's so cool that you have one sort of overarching specialty and you have been able to dial it down to some of the most vulnerable and most needy among us. And I would imagine not many pediatricians do what you do, which is really, really hone in. Yes. And I also am one of, I, I was a director on the board of American Board of Obesity Medicine for 10 years. And I'm one of the few pediatricians who actually uses um, medicine and weight loss with children. So children who are really suffering from severe obesity and health complications who might not be eligible to get surgery or too young to get surgery, but we want to prevent further health complications. We do use medicine in those kids. So pre-pandemic, I would think it was business as usual, right? You were seeing patients in your office and there was like a real connection I would imagine, between you and the kids and parents that come into your office. I mean, I saw my pediatrician until I was like 19, 19 years old, maybe even 20, I don't know. Um, and she's still sort of a member of the family. Uh, we went to her for everything. So I would imagine pre-epidemic, pandemic, that's what you were to a lot of these families, right? Yes. Yeah. We were very much community based practice. I actually walk, I have two offices and I walk to both of them kind of equidistance. I see, it's like Sesame Street. Like I see my patients walking to school. I see my patients on their scooter. I see them when I go out with my dogs. Um, and all of, it's kind of like that with all of our community. Like we really know our patients. And, and I, I live in a building with 365 apartments. I see half my patients in the building. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's, 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 
I, I worked yesterday. So I worked, I saw two live patients and I did about 15 telemedicine and I was mentally exhausted. And I, I absolutely have to tell you that I hate telemedicine. Like I love seeing my patients. I love the art of a physical exam. And it is, I am so worried about what this, the collateral damage of this pandemic is going to be. Because explain what it's like from the physician perspective. I mean, I think a lot of us follow what's happening in medicine and we think to a certain degree, maybe it is sort of like a factory where you're, it's one in, one out, one in, one out, and you're just constantly rotating through. I think if somebody is blessed enough to find a pediatrician that they have a true connection with, that's somebody that you hold on to dearly. But we do understand that you, based on the insurance model today, yeah. you have to sort of just kind of churn them out. But what is it like from your perspective? Again, maybe before this, the whole world seems like it blew up. Well, you know, there is, there is something to be said for a physical exam. That's why we make people come in. And I'll, like, you, know, you know, it was interesting to me, kind of like how Cuomo said yesterday, like, oh, we're gonna have to re reimagine education and we won't really need as many teachers and kids in the classroom. And like teachers were outraged and I was outraged when I heard that because there's something so intimate about your bond with your teacher. Yeah, we all had a bad teacher, but for the most part, it's really important for children to get up, get out of their house and go to school. And I feel that, you know, they're saying, oh, well, now we're going to re reimagine medicine and a lot of people aren't going to want to come in for things that you did telehealth during COVID. And I worry about that. Like, I'm on all of these Facebook and, you know, Instagram groups with doctors and, you know, we are begging our patients to come in for their well visits and we're helping them if they're not in New York City, go somewhere else to get a visit and make sure they get their vaccines. But, you know, we'll have patients who, doctors who will write on Facebook, like, I just did a six month well checkup, patient looked really pale, I actually caught a case of leukemia, parents had no idea. That is why you need your doctor. You know, that is why children have regular checkups. That's why we are so focused on milestones and we ask so many questions and, you know, um, Sometimes parents will say, like, I don't understand why you're asking me about safety, or I don't know why you're asking me if I have a pool in my backyard, but that is what we do in pediatrics. Like, we worry about the whole family, the whole child, and, and, and the physical exam, and, like, feeling somebody's spleen, feeling somebody's liver, feeling lymph nodes. Like, we have picked up patients who've had leukemia just based on, like, swollen lymph nodes that the parents didn't know they had. You know, where are all those kids? We, we are not seeing them. They're home. Yeah. And, 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 and mom and dad or, or caretaker, caregiver, is so rightfully preoccupied with attempting to keep the family afloat, attempting to hold on to their job, make those bills, get the work done, that, you know, look, parents can't be mom and dad, teacher, full-time chef, you know, you have children, plus also physician, so many things we don't have training for. Add that to the list. Yeah. And now, now you have a pandemic. Um, and so, as you said, the amount of people coming into your office has dropped dramatically, but your office is still open, right? People yes. could come we're, in, but they're we're afraid. We're open four days a week. No. So we're open four days a week and we're doing well visits. And we're really trying not to bring anybody with a fever into the office just because we don't have enough protective gear. So we have about 45 gowns left. Um, I have no way of getting more gowns, so uh, we, we try to wear one gown a week, but if we get splashed on, they have to go in the trash. Um, and, it, and, you know, as 
we're seeing this, this is not going away anytime soon. In September, we're gonna have more sick kids, we're gonna have flu come back, you know, so we have to ration our protective gear. So I would love to see sick kids, but I don't have enough protective gear to see sick kids. So um, I have face shields, my daughter and her friend made face shields. I have masks right now. They're not comfortable, we bought them from China, but it's what we got. <laughs> and and it's, it's, you know, my daughter like is making me um, like a rainbow loom so it doesn't hurt behind our ears. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's crazy how we are working and private, I mean, private pediatricians and private doctors in general have been left out of the um, PPE's supply chain. So whereas if you work for a hospital system, they will funnel, hopefully, something to your office. But if you're in private practice, there is no funneling. You have to, you're, you're literally like, I, I, I go on Amazon business every day. I go on, you know, Craigslist. Like, we're like, psst, want to buy a mask. I mean, that's what it's come down to. That is insane. And as you said, it's not going away anytime soon. You, you mentioned um, missed milestones or that kind of thing. So now I'm, I'm a mom of a toddler and, you know, I go in and I feel like at the beginning of my kid's life, I was like, is he doing this? Is he doing this? Is he, yes, he's rolling over. Yes, he's sitting up. Yes, he's walking. Yeah, like I was so on top of every milestone. And now when they ask me questions, I'm like, yeah, I think he does that. I'm pretty sure he probably, yeah, I think there was one time where he did that, you know, and so I know that as you sort of get away from that newborn stage, I think a lot of us forget that milestones are of any great significance, but I'm sure as a pediatrician, no. they really still are important. And, and if you're not seeing kids as often as you would like, who's keeping track of those milestones? Yeah, and it's funny because yesterday I had a telehealth and it was for a six week old and the parents were calling about milestones and I was like a six week old, like those are not the milestones that I'm so worried about. Like they had to like poop and pee and you know, start smiling around two months. But um, I would, you know, I worry about my patients and I think we discussed this a little bit about speech delay. So the kids who are like borderline speech delay, but they might've gone to daycare or play groups or the park where they were forced to use their words to communicate with other people. Um, that's not happening now. So, you know, we always ask when you're doing a speech assessment, if we're doing a referral, um, what percentage of your child's speech do you understand? And then what percentage of other people understand your child's speech because your child might say Bob and you know that's bottle for Baba or something or you know mom for mama but they might have mama for several things um, those those things are not happening now because you don't have a teacher reporting that your child's not using words you don't have to see your child interacting on a playground with other kids you know and, and, and you know as a mom of a young child like you'll be like oh my god that child is saying so many more words than my kid or there's no comparison now because it's just you and your kid so i have i have like two extremes one we don't know because we're not seeing our kids and then i have the parents of the newborns and i i would say that the majority of my phone calls, I would say like 50% are from newborn parents because it is an extremely stressful time. They can't have grandparents helping them. They can't have their sisters or brothers come help them. They're sleep deprived, they're new parents. They're afraid to go out and take their baby in a walk, which I actually think you can take your baby for a walk, but people, I, am, I respect that they're afraid to do that. Um, and these parents are, are not thriving. The, the parents are not thriving. And I try to explain happy parents, happy baby. And I, I actually have one mom right now that I think her breast milk production has just sunk because she's so stressed. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, yeah, I was, look, I was there once too, but I had the benefit of A, an open society. Um, B, we were in a position where I could have um, some nighttime help. And, and, and I had family who could come visit. You know, I had all the things that a mom should need 
in order to feel like they could get through that time. And still I struggled with it massively, but yet I was able to go to a new mom's group, which I'm a part of the HRP mama's group, which is the downtown mom's group it is phenomenal. And they, every week for six weeks, I went and met with other moms and we sat around and we cried and we talked and we did all those kinds of things. That's not happening now. So I feel like I do understand what you're saying. Cause I worry about the moms that I see out and about with a baby they're coop, you're already cooped up as a new mom and now you're cooped up with no help potentially. And the possibility that your spouse is also working from home. So, or, and that's assuming that your spouse still has his or her job. And so there's an added element of stress. Yeah, I know. And this morning on Instagram, um, a doctor in, in Yale um, posted, you know, I hate screen time, but, and she filmed like her like 18 month old or, tw you know, two year old jumping up and down and doing jumping, jumping in front of like some cartoon. And she's like, mom fail. And I wrote back mom win, because your child's actually exercising in front of the TV. You know, like, you have to look at it half, cup half, half empty, half full, right? So what are some milestones that you're concerned that kids may not be Oh. meeting or getting as a result of what we're going through right now? So, you know, yesterday I did a three-year well visit and riding a tricycle is a three-year milestone. Where are you going to ride a tricycle now? Where, like people aren't even, you know, getting them, you know, where are you going to go with it? You know, you can't go to park, park's closed. Um, most New York City, because we're a city, you know, urban setting, the kids learn to ride scooters before a bike. So do you have a scooter? Have you gone out on it? Are you afraid to go out on it? If you find a place that is safe, are there too many kids there at the same time? You know, um, I, I think speech, socialization, learning to share. I mean, learning to share is a huge thing. So unless you have a sibling, you're not sharing right now. That, those, are, those are all milestones. Besides, you know, what is a sky and what is a flower and what is a horse? Um, just socialization as a child is, is severely lacking. And then, um, you only know how to deal with adults. You don't even know how to deal with peers. And, and do, is, does that run the gamut? I mean, is that toddlers, young kids, teenagers, et cetera? Or is there one specific age group that you're really focused on that you think, you know, not to be an alarmist, but that you think this pandemic could really be impacting the most? I, I think the younger school age children, as far as developmental milestones, because that's when we see the most, like can a four-year-old draw a square? Can they draw, you know, when are you learning to draw a circle? Are your parents practicing handwriting with you? Are your parents helping you trace letters? If you're two working parents or even one parent at home and you have to work, you might not have time to trace letters. Do you have an iPad at home? Do you have a coloring book at home? You know, do you have a printer if your school sends you homework to do. A lot of people don't have printers at home. You know, there's so many variables. Um, but I do, as far as developmental delay and catching up, you know, we all know the brain is most flexible and the synapses are developing at the younger ages. That's why we have early intervention in, you know, all over the country. We refer babies as early as possible when we see delays. So the later those referrals are being made, you know, not walking, not crawling, not cruising, you know, um, so that's why we want parents to keep their well visits so we can assess that. And then, um, you know, we have patients who are doing home physical therapy so that the physical therapist be on one end of the camera and she'll be showing the parent what to do with exercises. But any parent knows your child acts totally different for you than they do for a teacher or a doctor or a physical therapist. So it's very hard to get a child to comply. And some kids like a screen time for a few minutes, but I think a lot of kids are getting sick of it. You know, they run in front of it and they run away. They're just done. They're, they have no attention span. They're, they're not supposed to. <laughs> yeah. I remember you saying to me that you have a patient or that you know of a family whose child is autistic 
and they're really yeah. struggling right now. And that speaks to the special needs part of, of the conversation. Yes. Yeah. We have a, we have, we don't have a lot, but we have several families. You know, one of, you were saying you saw your pediatrician until you were 20. I have a 24 year old autistic patient because they do much better with pediatrics and adult doctors because very hard for them to sit in the waiting room. Um, they often want to just like look at their iPhone and watch cartoons. You know, they're, they might have a level functioning of a three-year-old, even though they're 24. Um, but I have this one patient who's, he's a germaphobe in general, is part of his autism, and he's a young adult, and he has gained 12 pounds in the past 50 days. Um, he will not leave the house. He's eating compulsively, whereas when he was we weren't on quarantine in lockdown. He used to go to a program every day. He went to community college. He has a social worker who checked on him. He had to do some exercise. He walked back and forth to the subway. His parents picked him up at night. Like there was a schedule. And if anybody has ever taken care of a child with uh, autism, schedule is a huge part of their day. They, they do not like a change in their schedule. Um, so those, I mean, that telemedicine was, I, I was broken after it because he was yelling so much at his parents and he's like a young adult and there's no, nothing to do. You can't call the cops. You can't call an ambulance unless you want your child hospitalized and you have to calm him down just because I said to him, why don't you go for a walk with your dog when your mom takes the dog for a walk? And he started screaming about germs and like, you know, dying of COVID. And it's so sad. They don't understand. And this is your experience. I would imagine anybody anywhere across this country and indeed around the world, it's the same thing. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter if you have a big home or a one bedroom apartment, you know, we're still dealing with the same feeling that the walls are closing in and we don't know when they're going to open back up. No, no. Um, one of the things that I'm, I have noticed with my son, who, as I mentioned to you, is just to um, stuttering. So, I have one of my best friends is a special needs teacher in New Jersey, and I'm always texting her. Is this normal? Is this right? Is this uh, how help? And she's like, calm down. You're okay. Um, if he needs help, we can get him help, but let's just assess. And one of the things that my husband and I both noticed during this quarantine period is a developing stammer or stutter. And as a mom, but as somebody who I feel like I try to at least stay somewhat educated, you know, I was, I was caught in this mindset of, is it normal? Or is it the result of this situation? Is he in some way impacted by what's happening and that's delaying or impacting his speech? Parents are saying that to you, I would imagine, right? With, yeah. In, in yeah. so many forms. So, so stutter is age appropriate at two because often their thoughts are faster than their mouth moves, so they can't get the words out. But a stutter at four is, is pathological. So when you, you know, it's something that you would follow. But um, yes, yeah, so I have a patient who started having tics, you know, just little childhood innocent tics before the shelter in place. So I, I can't remember what her tick was, either blinking or, or something common. It wasn't something alarming. Um, and her parents, of course, like Google Tourette's and I explained to them that's not Tourette's, Tourette's is a vocal tick. So now it has progressed during lockdown that she, first of all, both her parents are full-time employees from home. Like literally they work for banks, they cannot, they have no nanny because of the, the shelter in place and they have a baby. And then her corn, then her, sorry, then her tick started that she was touching her hair all the time. She was touching her hair, touching her hair, touching her hair. And they figured it was like sensory. And I said, you know, we can, I can refer you to an occupational therapist who could help you over, you know, telemedicine. We'll try to work with her. So now what happened is she's licking her hands and touching her hair. 
and she's four and she's a totally healthy kid. And in a normal day, we would, you know, just work with it with some therapy with the occupational therapist or maybe a child psychologist. But now the parents are freaking out because of COVID because she's licking and touching, licking and touching. And you're not supposed to shame children who have tics because then it makes it do them it more. And they usually just extinguish on their own. So like these things that we never had to deal with, I have a single mom who's working from home who's a three and a half year old was completely potty trained, completely potty trained. Like really one of my first patients potty trained at like by two, it was like crazy. Peed on the couch six days in a row, pooped in her pants, you know? Her mom was like, this, this is nuts. Like, I don't know what to do. And we talked about doing the star chart and positive reinforcement, putting a calendar. And like every time she would go pee pee on the potty, get a smiley face and, and it worked. Like within two weeks, she was back to her regular underwear and not doing this, but like, that's how children show anxiety. They don't say, I'm feeling anxious. Why am I not getting out of this house? Um, my, we potty trained Matthew at, you know, r- roughly around the two-year mark. Uh, I guess it was like January, February for us. And while he's not 100% there, he's completely daytime potty trained. And, you know, we were concerned that just because we're inside all the time, first of all, I mean, maybe I'm like a lot of moms or maybe other moms have their SHIT together, but I feel like half the time I'm like, don't wear pants. It's fine. Who's going to see us? We're just inside anyway. And then I realized, oh, I have to actually get him dressed and he needs pants because if he doesn't put pants on, he's going to think that we're back to the beginning stages of the potty training method, which right. is you, you don't wear pants. So right, I'm, like, that's funny. I'm like, oh, I yeah. can't do that. I have to yeah. put pants on you. We have to follow this routine. But you, you, you as a parent start to, I think, second guess everything. The other thing that we were concerned about is because he's watching so much screen time now because, mm-hmm. you know, look, Blippi, Elmo, Coco Melon, Dino Dana, Daniel Tiger, they're mm-hmm. all really great parents. They're really great substitutes in the moment. But that's a lot of screen time. So he's squinting now. And my husband and I both, mm-hmm. neither of us have sight issues. We said, mm-hmm. are we ruining his eyes? Is mm-hmm. that is that something that could come from this that we might see down the road some some sort of screen or you know eyesight problems from the screen? I doubt there will be permanent problems, but I can tell you temporarily, like a lot of kids who watch so much screen time at a young age, the parents will call often because they're blinking a lot. They'll like blink like thirty times in a row or or squint. What it is is that they're very afraid that if they blink that they're gonna miss something. So they hold their eyes like open and or squint because they think that if they blink and then what happens is their eyes get very dry and then they blink like a hundred times or they, that, that, you know, those things happen, but they're not like permanent or anything. You know, oh, that, wait, so that's what he's doing. That's yes. literally what he's doing. He yes. will squint and I'm like, can he not see? So then we try to stand in front of him. Can you see us? How can they're they're so phone? nervous. <laughs> That's so, and we noticed that when he's watching something multiple times, like, so if it's a video that we watched in the morning and then we put it back on in the afternoon, usually he doesn't squint the same at both times. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is why we need to get out of this mess because I need to have some sort of human interaction where I can talk to somebody about this on a day-to-day basis. Right. And like, and the thing is, is that a lot of people don't have a great relationship with their pediatrician or they go to a clinic where they see a different doctor every time. So their doctor might not know them and know these subtle differences. I mean, we, we get so many calls a day and I say 99% of them are hand-holding because social distancing has been working. We've got very few sick children. But I also feel like there are the parents who are too busy to deal and then there are the parents who just stare at their kids all day and they're just trying to almost find something or they can't enjoy life because they're focusing on minutia and they're so anxious about COVID. So there's so many like different repercussions, how different families are 
are dealing with it. Like I could tell you every single day I'm going to have a certain name of a patient that's going to be on my telemedicine because the, the family's just so anxious. Um, and whether it's for blinking or a stubbed toe, they will find a way to call us because they, I think they just need to hear a reassuring voice. And that is beautiful and, yeah. and heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's wonderful that they have such a great connection to you. Uh, but it must be, as a physician, for you, a bit tough because you do have other people who also have other issues that would legitimately require that telemedicine time. You know. Well, that, and also I always say, like, I'm not, I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> like, I'm a pediatrician. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, like, I'm, yeah. I'm sympathetic and I, I'm empathetic, but but I might not have the right solution. And a lot of sleep issues. That's probably like, the number one thing. With, so, I mean, across all ages, like you were asking. So teenagers are not sleeping school-age kids are not sleeping, babies are not sleeping, or they're sleeping the wrong times. Like, school-age kids who used to have sports after school and, you know, meet up with their friends and take a bus home, like, that's all done. So you finish school, if you even have, like, my son is online school till three every day, but my daughter is pretty much done by 12.30. I mean, they go back to sleep, and then they don't want to go to sleep at nine or 10 because they've slept in the afternoon. And, like, can I really force them to go out for more than like a 15, 20 minute walk? I don't really know that we want them walking around so much. So, you know, I'll let them ride on the bike path, but I definitely don't want them going on the bike path when it's dark at night because it's so dangerous now. So um, I, like, I have to like keep my kids awake. I'm like, you can't fall asleep now. Like you can't fall asleep. Now. Well, I finished my homework. What do you want me to do? That's great. <laughs> yeah. And, and everybody's going through it. So, yeah. um, so, okay. So let's give some parents some real things that they can hold on to and that'll help them get through this time. And God, well, if we have to go through this again, then they'll at least be armed with that information. You know, the first thing that I'm hearing from you is everybody take a deep breath. Everybody just realize that like we have to bring sort of the temperature of the room down a little bit to realize there are some things that are emergencies and some things that are very, very normal. Yeah. And I think, also, like not leaving the news on all the time. No offense, I know. <laughs> You're That's okay, I get it. <laughs> but, like, I think for some of my patients, it's causing a huge amount of anxiety hearing the news in the background all day. Like the parents, especially the parents, some, some parents watch, you know, Bloomberg or something for, for work or, or MSNBC, you know, something and they're watching the market. But like, we all know that every few minutes, like their Cuomo is going to come up and de Blasio is going to come up and their kids are like, they might be playing Lego on the floor, but they hear what's going on. So like they hear like this many hospitalizations, this many deaths. We're leaving, you know, we're like disbanding, you know, Jacob Javits Center for now, but we're leaving it in case more people die, you know, these, and they hear it. And, and like, so you really have to like either wear earbuds or like, keep the news away from children, tell them what they need to know, make them feel secure. Like that's, that's the most important thing. And then also for families who are anxious, like talking about all the symptoms of COVID all the time, it, it, it reflects in their children. Cause I was, I was saying that like, we'll have kids who they'll call me like my four year old is complaining of a backache and a headache and swollen joints and like all these kinds of things, which are really not common complaints for a four year old, but they're hearing the adults around them. And, yeah, oh, that makes sense, right? So like they're picking up the things that their parents are, are saying. Um, mm -hmm. If you're concerned about your kid missing a milestone, like let's say you have a kid that's two and a half and you were mentioning the bike ride or the scooter. I mean, mm -hmm. do you recommend parents go out and get a scooter or, or get a, yeah. a balance bike or something like that? Absolutely. And get their kid on it. You know, make, make the investment if you, if you are financially able to and get your kid outside. You don't think that there's anything wrong with a kid no, being out right no. now and doing that. No, I think if you wear a mask and you wash your child's hands when they come in, 
I think it's fine. I think it's, it is very hard to have a two-year-old. So I, I think having the mask on a two-year-old is kind of hard, but I almost feel like get a Halloween mask, make something silly, make something funny, find their favorite character, draw a smiley face on it. You know, if they could keep it on for 10, 15 minutes and get some fresh air. I think the hardest thing for us in New York has been, we've had so many rainy days last month. I mean, it just rained every single day. I mean, and now we're, I think we're going to get like winter storm <laughs> this weekend. Because, but um, I do, I do feel that my patients who are suffering are the ones whose parents have extreme phobias and are not letting them out at all. And I'm not saying going to the supermarket. You know? Yeah, no, that's a totally different thing. Um, somebody gave me the advice to try to have my son wear his mask inside the house and then yes. also try it on his toys, his dolls, his stuffed animals. And we've done yeah. that. We've mm-hmm. done that. And then a, a mom in Tribeca has been making beautiful masks. So I got a kid's mask from her and we're amazed that he's wearing it. And I think he's wearing it and he's not, he's not um, alarmed by it. He's not asking about it and he's not trying to pull it off. And I think it's because we have tried sadly, we have tried to make this a part of our new normal. And so he right. sees it and he'll even ask, where's your mask, mommy, where's your mask? And I'm like, oh, right here. Right. No, <laughs> but- you're doing the right thing. And I think, and I, I, I actually think they'll be wearing masks if they go back to school. I, I really do. So I think the better you train them to keep it on. Like, you know, I had a patient call yesterday. They have to fly to Arizona because their um, grandfather's ill, not with COVID, but they're, they're going to go to Arizona. And I totally respect that. And I actually think the airplanes are probably cleaner than most supermarkets we go to, but they have a, a baby that just turned uh, a baby that's like six months and then a two and a half year old. And they're very, very worried about flying with a two and a half year old that has to keep a mask on her face for the six hour flight. And I never say this, like, I really never say this. And I'm like, you might want to try Benadryl. Like you might want to try Benadryl at home while we're in shelter in place and see if it makes your child sleepy. Because 10% of kids get hyper, and you definitely don't want that on the plane. Maybe you, if she will not keep, because they said she, they're having a really hard time keeping the mask on her face. And I said, maybe you give her a Benadryl or one milligram of melatonin and have her sleep through that flight so she, the mask will stay on. They're like, what are they going to do? Like kick us off the plane? Like, are they going to arrest us? Mid- we don't know. Yeah, no one's ever had to deal with it before, so we don't know. Right. Yeah. Are you concerned about vitamin D deficiencies? Completely. Yeah. And we've been like handing out vitamin D samples at our office like candy. Like we get a lot, we have luckily we have samples. Um, but I have been recommending like 400 units a day for a child. I mean, if they're drinking milk, I don't worry about it because if you're drinking three cups of milk a day, you're going to get your vitamin D. But uh, we know many patients who don't drink three cups of milk a day or have like milk, three servings of dairy, like whereas cheese or yogurt or a cup of milk. Um, yeah, I'm really, really worried about it, especially in dark skin communities. They have much lower levels of vitamin D to start with. All right. So we have to make sure our vitamin D stays. Uh, Great question, need, by the way. Thank you. We need to get out. We need to, so we need to get some sort of exercise of some kind. Um, anything else that you think, well, uh, drop the anxiety, anything else that you think is a, sort of an important well, I part? Think, I think finding physical activities that if you can't leave your house for any reason, you know, there are parents who are immunocompromised or parents who have arthritis or are, you know, have, are an immunosuppressant so they really can't go out or have cancer. I think that there's a lot of free um, physical activity available. There are Zoom classes for kids, whether it's dance or gymnastics. Like I I just got um, from Chelsea Piers, like an email that my kids can join a class. My kids haven't gone to Chelsea Piers. I mean, they're teenagers. They haven't gone to Chelsea Piers for like four years. But I thought that was awesome that they sent that out, uh, you know, to do some gymnastics from home. I think that to keep them moving, you know, to build bone, you have to break bone. That's why we walk and run and jump. And all of those kind of things are not going to happen if you're just sitting all day. So it's so important to, for healthy bone development to have your kids moving. Um, 
And when we were talking about money, like we can't, some people can't afford some things. I, I mean, I didn't do this because of money, but my son is 16 and he wanted a pull-up bar and they're like sold out everywhere. You can't find any weights online, nothing. I went on Craigslist and I found a $17 used pull-up bar and I drove over and I picked it up for him on the east side. And he uses it like 10 times a day in between every class he does pull-ups. Um, so you just have to be creative. Like look on eBay, look on Craigslist, look on Facebook Marketplace, like get jump ropes. Get, I tell my parents, get jump ropes, get hula hoops. You know, Target is open, Walmart is open. If you take a ride, put on your mask. If you wanna wear gloves, go ahead and get some things. If you have a yard, you can take them to the park. Jump rope, you can do alone or with somebody, like a sibling. You, you have to like use cans of vegetables to use them as weights for them to do biceps. You know, push-ups, you can do, you just have to, you can do scavenger hunts in your house with your kids. You can make a list and things to find and make it a competition. And all of these things also, what I'm hearing from you is all these things also not only check off the physical element, but the developmental element, right? Like, so they yeah. hit two birds with one stone, essentially. Yeah, totally. Like a scavenger, I've never met a kid who doesn't love a scavenger hunt. Like we're gonna hide something, we're gonna hide your, your toy or your train, and we're gonna, I'm gonna give you a map and we have to go find it. Or if you live in an apartment building, take your stairs instead of the elevator now, just to get more exercise. But with ways, you know, there's, there's, you just have to be creative. You have to really, and you have to invest time in it because we're, it's mentally exhausting. <laughs> Um, my last question for you is about the long-term effects here. Um, are you concerned that what happens during this time, even though in the grand scheme of things, it's brief, we hope, it will impact kids in ways that are either not able to be reversed or that will take a significant amount of intervention to return to, to reverse? I, I think it's too soon because it's only been like 50 days, but I guarantee you that pediatricians are going to start studying delayed milestones in children when this when like society reopens or as we see the patients um i'm sure in like centers like the kennedy center jacoby the developmental child you know the child mind institute any place that's studying children develop, child development this is like a prime time for them i think it's too soon to tell it's only been 50 days but we do know like children who were raised in war zones definitely uh, you know for other reasons of crime, who don't have the accessibility to go out, have delayed milestones. So I don't, I would not be surprised that people with less means and or parents who are essential workers who cannot take care of their kids and properly homeschool, because this is not what we were supposed to do, um, I, I think there'll be delayed milestones. I hope that most of them can be, you know, recouped and we can catch up when they get back to school or some sense of normalcy. But I, I, I definitely think we'll, we're going to see my delayed milestones. What about in terms of um, anxiety disorders or depression or any of that kind oh. of stuff? Do you think that this will carry over or because as you had said, it, it, at this point, it has been a brief period of time, although it feels like forever, that we can sort of come back from this for those kids that are already prone to those types of things? Oh, I think it's I think it's going to be much worse. I mean, I, I definitely had like a couple of adolescent patients yesterday who I said, you know, I tried to help them on the phone, but I said, you really need to speak to your counselor. Are you doing telehealth with your anxiety, you know, your doctor for anxiety? Are you still taking your antidepressants? I think if you were an anxious person prior to this, this is not helping for sure. And the fact that we don't see an end in sight, you know, we say well, until a vaccine or a treatment, this might happen, like this kind of social distancing might go on and off for the next year or two. That's that's frightening to an adult. So can you imagine when you're a teenager or, you know, 10 year old, the unknown. And I think that's, I sometimes think almost, not that my patients are mad at me, but I think people want an answer, you know, and I just got an email from a 
parent who's demanding that I antibody test their child so they can go see their grandparents. And I said, that's not even, we don't even know if that's true. Like, we don't even know if you have antibodies, if you could see your grandparents. And then am I on the hook that like a grandparent is going to be taken out by COVID? I, I don't know. And they want an answer. You know, somebody said, I need, I need you to do antibody testing so that my child can go to daycare. But that doesn't even make sense. That doesn't, we don't know. They just want something. They want somebody to do something. <laughs> You know, yeah. uh, and that's the reality of what I think we're all facing. Um, yeah. Anything else that you think is important to add to the conversation or that you think that parents should really know? I, what I love about what you're saying is you're, you're speaking like a physician, obviously, but you're a parent and a person and you're, you're also a new I'm a parent who's doing the Zoom because my computer is on my ironing board right now and I'm in front of a closet. <laughs> so you're with us. So I- I live in Manhattan and I I actually, I have to say like my office is closed on Thursdays. Um, Right now, not normally, we're never closed period, but we only close on Thursdays now. And I, I really, I feel like almost fortunate that I am a frontliner and that I get to go to work because getting out of the house makes you feel so much better. And I I, I joke sometimes like, oh, I'll risk myself getting COVID to just get out of the house. But like, I do love that interaction with my staff or like a family and I like, you know, going to work and getting out. And sometimes I'll tell my kids, just come to my office and sit in one of the rooms that we're not using just to like see something different. Like just, it is hard to stay in the same place for a long time. Yeah, a friend of mine who has a, um, an 11 month old took her kid in for his shots. And mm-hmm. she said that she lingered so long in the waiting room, just talking to the receptionist. And it didn't dawn on her how long she had been there until she left and realized that was the first person that she encountered outside of a grocery clerk or a delivery person in three and a half, four weeks, whatever it was. She's like, I really talked to that receptionist for a really long time. <laughs> and I said, they probably enjoyed it as much as you did. Exactly. Like, we're like, we're like the phone rang, you know? <laughs> um, but I would, my, my, my take home message would be, remember you have a medical home, call your pediatricians, call your providers. Um, don't wait if you think there's a delay in your children or like child's development, or if you think anything is wrong with your child, because um, as, as we start opening up more, we'll, we'll be able to see more children and examine more children. Like if we think that there's a wart on their foot, we, like we might've done telemedicine, but now we'll bring them in. You know, like if it's not fever related and we'll get, we're gonna have more access to protective gear, I think things, you know, after May 15th, we'll be able to bring in, you know, because at one point they were saying, don't do your three-year-old well visit, don't do your four, uh, the five-year-old well visit, because there's no shots there. At four, you have to get shots. But, but that's not our feeling. Our feeling is it's really important to keep all of your well visits. This episode was recorded, edited, mixed, made awesome by Matt Onimus. The executive producers are myself, Matt Onimus, and Imad Ashgar. Byron Harmon is VP of News, and our vice president and general manager of Fox 5 is Lou Leone. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments or you just want to say hi, reach out to me on Twitter at Fox5Teresa or on Facebook, Teresa Priolo NY. And stay tuned for our next episode. <laughs>